You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. It's good to see everybody here. If you want to get your Bible, uh, as, as Dell said, we are in Genesis 1, chapter 1, right there at the beginning. Um, we're, we're, we're walking through uh, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and, and we've already spoken uh, about uh, days 1, 2, and 3, uh, but what I want to do is uh, we, we're on days 4 and 5, and so we're going to cover those today. But I thought, since it's not that much, it, it's best if we just kind of, as a recap, go back and read, starting in verse 1. So if you have your Bible, that's where we're going to start. We're just going to read from verses 1 through verses 23. So just follow along with me this morning. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was w- without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the faces of the water. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout forth vegetation, plants uh, yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and morning of the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from night. And let them be a sign for, for the seasons and for the days and for the years. And let them be lights in the expanse for the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the nights and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of, of the heavens. So God created the great sea, uh, the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves uh, and with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning on the fifth day. Lord, we ask you that you bless the reading of your word. All right, so... That is where we're at. We're caught up. Today's four and five. And 
once again, I always like to start off by restating what, it, what the goal is. What is our goal here? What is our purpose? And our purpose in studying these first chapters of Genesis is to cement ourselves in this firm foundation of God's Word. Um, I said it several weeks ago, and I'll say it again. We must have the same worldview as Jesus Christ. And I want myself and my kids and you and your kids to have the mind of Christ. That's the goal. And as we study throughout the New Testament and we see the life of Jesus in the Gospels, we see that he firmly, he firmly believed the Old Testament, especially the book of Genesis. And I think when we see Jesus, we see that he saw the big picture. And we need to see this same big picture and we have talked about for weeks and weeks about what it is to have this firm foundation. And um, it's, it's simple. There's a simple reason we do this. Um, if, if you look in Ephesians 6, it tells us that we are to be prepared for spiritual warfare. It's not be prepared just in case something might happen down the road, maybe. It's no. Things are going to happen. You are in spiritual warfare and things are definitely going to happen. So it's simple to check this out, right? To test this. Do, all we have to do is look at the world around us and ask the question, is, is this happening? Is the world under siege? I mean, is the church under siege? And, and check this out. This is a, um, a news article, a study that was done by the University of Michigan. I know you probably can't see this. I'll read it to you. Um, this was done August 20, 2021, so within the past month. And it says this, evolution now accepted by majority of Americans. It says below that, the level of public acceptance of evolution in the United States is now solidly above the halfway mark, according to a new study based on a series of natural, uh, national public opinion surveys conducted over the past 35 years. I hate to say this, but... This isn't really surprising if you, if you consider uh, what's gone on over the past 35 years. I'm, I'm 38 years old. I, I was raised in uh, the school systems around here. Um, I was taught from 5 to 21 uh, was my educational life from, from kindergarten all the way up through college up, at, uh, up in Johnson City at ETSU. But every year my educational life, I was taught some degree of evolution in science class. And it's, it's important to realize that it wasn't necessarily pushed or forced down my throat, but it was mentioned and taught every year. And it wasn't until I got to college, where I majored in science, where I majored in biology, that uh, professors started to openly mock and, and, and cast doubt on the idea of a creator God who would create a world in six days. But for elementary school to high school, I was kind of left to this, to this thinking of, well, here's, here's some evolution, and then you go to church, and here's, here's the Bible. And, and you kind of, a lot of people were like, well, just make, make them fit. Make them work together. And uh, so you've got to make it job. You've got to make it work. So maybe that's not too far off for you guys. Maybe you've got some close to the same story. And all I can tell you is that by the grace of God, he put a desire in my heart 
to, to want to know truth, even at an early age. And I, and I had parents that helped me find that truth. And it was very obvious to me, only by the grace of God, that the theories of fallen men in the Word of God, they go together like chocolate and weak old fish. They don't, it don't, they don't go together. It doesn't work. You can't mix them. So knowing that, once again, I don't want your children and my children hung out to dry. I think it's such an important thing that we take every opportunity to teach them the truth. But you cannot teach what you do not know. You cannot teach what you do not know. And as I said, uh, if you're anything like me, chances are you've had a, a good amount of worldly programming over the years, uh, whether you've, you've held to it or not. So what we find is What's the right thing to do? Well, as a Christian, the right thing to do is to have the mind of Christ and be molded into the image of Christ. And, and, but from a, a fleshly perspective, we find that things that are hard to do, we tend not to do them. <laughs> it's easier to do the easy things, right? So, uh, knowing all this, I guess if I'm being 100% honest... Uh, I think there's no, I mean, it's, it's no, it's no, it's no uh, surprise <laughs> to see year over year more and more studies of churches closing down, people leaving the church, generations, you know, doubting uh, God. Um, a lot of Christians don't even believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. Christians not Americans, Christians. There's a lot of Christians that don't believe Jesus is necessarily the only way to heaven. Um, I didn't put that study up here. But it's, it's incredible to think that all this is going on around us. And, and what, what's our role? What are we to do? And as I was studying this stuff, I, I love music. And uh, I listen to all kinds of music. Uh, I grew up listening to all kinds of music. I listened to... Uh, so, so two songs kind of came to mind as I was, as I was studying this, and uh, one from a rock group named Puddle of Mud, <laughs> not Christian, and another one from a soft pop guy, John Mayer. You may have heard that guy. So just to note, you're not going to find these on Christian radio. You don't have to go looking for them. They're not, I mean, they're not necessarily bad songs, but they're not necessarily good songs. So Puddle of Mud sang this song. that had a real sweet guitar lick in it, and it was... Uh, Drift and Die <laughs> is the name of the song. And it was just this hard-hitting... It's about drifting and dying. And, and, and then John Mayer had this song about waiting on the world to change. And I think that's where we're at, most of us, most days. Is after a hard day's work, you know, it's like, man, I just want to drift and die. <laughs> you know, this has been a tough day. Or after watching the news and seeing the shadiness of, of political parties... You might want to hum a few bars of, I'm just waiting on the world to change. You know, it'll, it's going to get better. But the problem is, you cannot do that if you're a Christian. If, if, if you are a child of God and you know the truth and you see things being taught to your children that are not truth, you've got to say, hey, hey, that ain't right. We've got to stop this. That's not okay. As Barney says, you've got to nip it in the bud. My dad's here. We watch a lot of Barney. A lot of Andy. A lot of Andy. He was there for a little bit, all right? I relate more to Barney. So 
uh, check, check this out. This is what I saw yesterday, literally as I was putting together this sermon. This is a post from Facebook from a guy here, a local dad here in Crossville. Um, and and I, you, you, I know you can't read it or see it. This is a, this is a homework page, and, and it's, it's for his kid. I don't know what grade his kid's in, but it's, it's specifically teaching and saying evolution is fact, and men, human beings, and, and apes come from the same descendant. And in it, he's like, hey, he, he posts above that there. He's like, hey, I'm not, I'm not trying to rock the boat, but this ain't right. I'm going to say, and, and he wrote it, this little thing right here is a note to the teacher. You can't see it. And, and it was respectful. And uh, I, I just, I didn't put any of his name or inf- information on there because I, that's not relevant. But the guy is standing up. The point is he sees what his kids are being taught. And he's doing it. He's saying, hey, this is a problem. He's confronting that problem. And the problem uh, is that <laughs> the bigger problem is that all you have to do is to go and read the comments to see how broken and divided people are on this very subject of creation and evolution. You would think that here in the heart of the Bible Belt that this would be pretty one-sided in favor of creationism uh, and God, but it's, that's not the case. So I applaud this guy's bravery. Now, the question is, will we do the same? Will we do the same? So let's... Let's get back down to business and back to God's Word. We're looking at days four and five. I just, I just found all that super interesting, that it is right in our face. All we have to do is open our eyes and to see it. It's, it's all around us. So, so back to days four and five. Um, starting in verse 14, follow along. And God said, Let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Verse 16, And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the lights from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So here we've come to the fourth day of creation. First day, God created light and darkness. Second day, God created the expanse or the firmament uh, that where he separated the waters from the waters and created uh, the heavens above the earth in the atmosphere. On the third day, uh, he, he gathered the waters together and made the seas and exposed the dry land. He called that earth. And that's when he uh, created the plants. So here we are, fourth day. We're catching up to the fourth day where God creates the sun, moon, and stars. <clears throat> and so the first thing I want to point out is something that you may have already thought about. Uh, as uh, I was always taught in school, like I was saying earlier, there's no reason, there's no reason that, you know, theories of man of evolution and, and, and creation, uh, the creation days can't work together. I remember my grandma, great Christian lady, t- t- who kind of said something similar to me. I can remember things like that. Why? I don't know, but I can. It's like, oh, you just kind of make it work together. And in that way, you know, everybody's happy. Everybody's happy at that point. But we have a, but we have a hiccup here, right, on day four. You see, according to the Big Bang and evolutionary scientists, the sun, moon, and stars were among the very 
first matter that was created. It was essential that it be created first in order for evolutionary order to take place on this planet. The sun needed to be in place. Radiation and light needed to be in place so that there could have so that life could be created or could exist on this planet. And also, if those days had to be millions of years old, each of those days to fit with the theory of evolution, we got another problem. Because <laughs> how is it that the plants showed up on day three and then literally millions of years later, the sun shows up? That just doesn't, that, that, once again, that don't jive. That don't work. And so if these days were millions of years and it took millions of changes over millions of years, that just doesn't add up. It doesn't, it doesn't work. So the simple answer is the right answer is the biblical answer. You can't mix them. <laughs> you, can't, you can't have evolution and, and, uh, and, and the Bible. You can't have God creating and, and the world creating itself. They, they just don't mix. Oil and water. So there's two things on the first day, on, I'm, I'm sorry, on day four that I want to talk about. And, and that's uh, when God said day, he meant a day. And the second thing is God had already created light. Um, I know we've covered this. I know Dale's talked about this. And we've talked about the Hebrew word for day is yom. And, but it's so important that you understand that when God says a day in Genesis 1, he means a 24-hour day. And the question is, once again, how do we know this? All we have to do is look at the context of the word day as it's used in the sentence. You know, what's really interesting is that uh, no one ever argues about what day means in the, in the rest of the Old Testament. You don't, you don't think about that. You don't hear people say, oh, when Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, he marched around for 7,000 years around that wall. Seven days, 7,000 years. Yeah. Or wait, oh, Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of that whale for 3 million years. No. There's, no. there's no doubt that a day is a day is a day in all these other places in the Old Testament. Only, only when you come to Genesis 1 are people saying, now wait a second, that could mean, that could mean millions of years. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, but for some reason, we've, we've allowed this to be kind of part of the discussion. So let's, let's look at some facts concerning... The word yom, uh, which is Hebrew for day. And what, I fa- what I've got here is 523 times throughout the Old Testament that the word yom is used. And each of these examples, it means one 24-hour day. So uh, you may or may not be able to see it with the, with the color of the, the slides there. But let me tell you, day uh, plus a number, that happens 410 times in the rest of the Old Testament. And every time, it means one 24-hour day. 38 times, evening and morning, when used together with the word day or yom, it means a 24-hour day. When evening or morning is used with the word yom, 23 times means the word day. And 52 times, anytime you see night with day, it means a 24-hour day. Clear as mud? Let's look at this. This next slide, Genesis 1, this is starting in verse 5. And I know you can't see this, but it's verse 5, verse 8, verse 13, verse 19, verse 23, and verse 31. See if you can spot the obvious. 
Verse 5, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Verse 8, And the evening and the morning were the second day. Verse 13, And the evening and the morning were the third day. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. You see it? Can you see it? Every time God qualifies that it is a day. So when you are confronted with this this conversation, those comments in that Facebook post. Oh, now, we don't know what a day means. We don't know if it's... I mean, it was in that Facebook post. Yes, we do. Let me show you. Let me show you what the Bible says about what the Bible says. It's right here. So... It's important to have answers. Uh, Sometimes you can't have answers. Um, Perfect point is is uh, the second point here. God God has created. uh, He had already created light without using the sun, moon, and stars. So why did He choose to create light before the sun? My answer: I have no idea. He doesn't explain that to us. All I can tell you is that in this case, all I know is that. He is God and I am not. His ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts higher than my thoughts. I like to think that he might have done it just to throw a wrench into evolution. That's what I like to think. Because uh, he knew that one day men were going to think they were smarter than God. And he's like, hold up a second. Let me, let me show you something. And that, so at the end of the day, as we're studying this, as, as we're always in the word, you have to realize, you have to know that we are told to walk by faith and not by sight. So there are times when this Bible speaks with absolute clarity, such as this idea of a day is a day. And then there are other times when we've got to trust the Lord. And the good news is that if you know Jesus, he's going to answer this question and every other question you got one day. Because he knows. He knows all answers to all things. The last little point I was going to make about day four is one about the sun. Um, uh, as you know, I like science, and I could nerd out a little, you know, geek out about the stars and the moon and what it does and all this uh, different things. And uh, But just to, make, just to make it easy and not boring for, <laughs> for you, I thought, let's just look at the sun and, and see some amazing things about our sun that makes it different from the majority of other stars. One thing I think is interesting is that he calls it the sun. Do you realize that? That we as humans, as uh, modern thinking is, oh, it's just another star. But it's not. It's not another star. Its attributes and its traits are so specific that it alone, from what we can tell, is the only one like it. You see, scientists have spent years looking for other stars that are like our sun because they know if they can find one, uh, they think that there's probably a good chance that there's an Earth-like planet, you know, going around it that might sustain life. But they found they found several that look and kind of act like our sun, but none that are exactly like it. Our sun is truly unique. You see, all these other stars... Are, are either too hot or too cold. Uh, some uh, in, admit tons of radiation. Some admit no radiation, very little radiation. You've got to have radiation. Our sun emits just the right radiation for photosynthesis to happen. Um, and, and some, like these blue giants, there's no way. They, they burn out before uh, 
the, the idea of the theory of evolution could even take place. They don't, they don't last long enough. So what is so interesting about our sun is that it is tuned just right. It's, it's like uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It's not too big, not too small, not too hot, not too cold. It is just right for our, our, our needs. So when we look at the sun and the moon and the stars, why is it so perfect for our needs? And it's just like what Parker read in, in Psalms 136. And, and you've got to realize Psalm 136 was written thousands of years after these creation days. But uh, just, to, just to touch on that again, it says in, in verse 7, To him who made the great lights, his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, his steadfast love endures forever. He loves us. He did it because he loves us, and he, he alone can meet our needs. And, and so when we see the sun, when we see the moon, when we see the stars, I hope that triggers something in your heart and in your mind that that's there because God loves us. And it's his steadfast love that keeps it there, and it's his steadfast love that meets all of our needs all of the time. On to day five, verse 20. Says this, and God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves at, with which the water swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 22 And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning. On that fifth day. Here we see on day five. The first living creatures. Uh, in the form of sea creatures and birds. And uh, much like Dale talked about. If you've ever. If you could just read one part of one of those. Chronicle of Narnia books. I don't know. It's, it's very amazing. C.S. Lewis does an amazing job. Of when Aslan uh, is creating uh, the world in in the ma uh, magician's nephew. It's talking about all this stuff coming about, and so and it's 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 really neat to think that way. And I, just imagine what it'd been like to be a fly on the wall that day. And there's there was no walls and there were no flies. But imagine what it'd be like to be there that day in this quietness of this world, and then this growing sound of birds calling to one another. And then birds fluttering by and flying from tree to tree and flying in the sky in formation. And, and then the sea that was barren and empty all of a sudden is teeming with life and, and, and full of color. And I, I just think that, that would be pretty amazing to experience. Um, the theory of evolution tells us that these creatures develop slowly over millions of years. That these small organisms that were on the coral reef came first and then millions of years later after millions of changes we got whales and and that's not what we see here here we see god create the large sea creatures and the tiny creel at the same time the same is true of the birds of the air he, we see the tiny hummingbird and this giant albatross both spoken into existence in an instant so two takeaways from day five are this. One, they were created after their own kind. And two, the command to multiply. Now, most of you here are very familiar with 
the, the name Charles Darwin. He is the, one of the most famous fathers of this theory of evolution. Uh, and his, one of his famous, some of his most famous work hinges and is based on the study of these varying beak sizes for finches that were found on these Galapagos Islands. And he used this, he, he went there and studied them for a little while and, and determined, well, because the, the, the beak sizes change, um, amoebas can turn into man, basically. A uh, little bit of a jump, in my opinion. Um, so the problem is that all you, all you can observe, observe is, is these small variations in beak size. Even to this day, the, just recently the, an article came out where they said, we've seen, we've seen evolution in these Galapagos finches. You know what's happened? Their beak size changed again. It's, not, it's still a finch. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a bluebird. It's not a cardinal. It's a finch. And the finch's beak changed again. <coughs> in 30 years but nothing about it's changed its wings uh, haven't changed its feet its feathers all of that can't be explained Uh, and 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 the bad thing is is you know what happens when you look at the fossil record you know how you identify a finch that's in the fossil record it looks like a finch i mean even the ones that they carbon date which we can get into that at another time for, for being thousands and thousands of years old, millions of years old, it looks like a finch. Everything about it looks like a modern finch. Its beak, chain, its beak size may change, but it would, if it was alive today, it could mate with a modern finch and then still make another finch. <laughs> I, uh, so I got my degree in biology, and I had, I had this genetics professor from Russia, and he... Um, he loved houseflies, Drosophila. He called them Drosophila because it made him smart, you know. Uh, but it's a housefly. And, and the great thing about studying genetics on a housefly is they, they roll through generations extremely quick, extremely quick. So he, over his uh, tenure of, you know, now he's got his Ph.D. and all these accreditations and everything, he has studied thousands of generations of houseflies and I would sit in his class, and he would talk about the marvels of evolution. And all you, ha- and I would ask, we would ask, what have you have you got anything besides a housefly? Have you has, have you had a mosquito show up? You know, no, no, it's still a housefly. Well, when we mute, when we introduce uh, uh, a mutation to the DNA, we can we can make a housefly with three wings. So you and you with your intelligent design can modify DNA to make it have a third wing. Yeah. And that proves evolution. Absolutely. This doesn't make it. We're in college. That doesn't make any sense. Two and two doesn't equal bicycle. It's not, it's not okay. But yet, that's, that's where we're at. We, man is looking for answers to questions that God already gives us the answer to. But we don't want it. We don't want it. We want our own answer. So... Sorry, I got off on a tangent. It's, <laughs> it's, just, it's just crazy to think that learned man who has studied literally thousands of generations of a species and has seen it produced after its own kind, after its own kind, after its own kind, just like Genesis says they're going to, and still claim, well, 
There was a boom one time where all the material that we don't know where it came from got together, blew up, caused order, and now we have, you know, this, well, we're, we're all sitting here on, you know, blue chairs and air conditioning because of chaos. Uh, it foolishness of man. All right, so verse 22, it says this, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. While God had already created plant life, he did not give it this command to multiply, which I find interesting. But what we see here is he does give this command to the sea creatures and to the birds of the air. And I read this, and I see that in God's perfect plan, he designed with expansion in mind. He wasn't setting the world up to be this fixed, finished, static environment. He was putting everything in place knowing that he was about to hand it over to his image bearer, uh, Adam. He was going to create all this and then give it to Adam as a gift. And what was Adam going to do? What was he going to spend his life doing? Working to take dominion over this vast new ever-expanding creation. And when I read that, that excites me. That is exciting to me. Imagine waking up to a new and flourishing world every morning and given this perfect job of being able to oversee and direct its formation. You have to remember that this is a perfect world, that man was designed to work. Even before sin, man was given a task to work. You see, in this perfect world, there were no thorns, no thistles, no sickness, no back pain, no type 1 diabetes, no death, no terrible weather, no extreme hot or cold, no deadlines. It was the best, most fulfilling job ever created. Uh, look, look at John 14. This, this is why this gets me excited. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, all right? We're wrapping up. Jesus talking to his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in me as well. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and welcome you into my presence so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. See, what's awesome is Jesus is doing it again. Right now, as we speak, he's preparing a place for us. He's creating this new and perfect place, and this time we're going to get to see it. We didn't get to see creation in all its glory because of sin. All we know is sin. We've seen sin our whole life, and now Jesus is preparing this new and perfect place, and you and I are going to get to be part of it. I don't know about you. Man, I get pumped up about that. You mean I can spend eternity in a perfect place in perfect fellowship with my creator God and Jesus, the one who died for me so that I could receive such a gift? Sign me up. Let's go. What do I have to do? That's a great question. What do you have to do? Listen again to this last verse that I just read. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Was Jesus just talking to anybody? No. He was talking to his disciples. He was talking with people that had walked with him. Jesus says you can go, but you must know the way. So let me ask you this morning, do you know the way? Do you know the way? Jesus talks about 
the option of paths that we have to walk in this life. In Matthew, he says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So as we close this part of the service, the question falls to you. Do you know the way? What gate will you choose? And if you're here this morning and you need help answering those questions, all right. That's why I came this morning. That's why Dale's here. That's why Dave's here. That's why Isaac and Zach and Pete. We're ready to show you. You want, you want, you want help finding the, the way to the right gate? We want you to find the right gate. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. I know the way, and I'm, I'll be glad to share it with you. Today can be the day of your salvation. You, too, can see the perfect new heaven and new earth that Jesus is creating as we speak. We get to look at the original creation and wonder at its marvelous uh, existence and then know that we can see that again. We can see that because Jesus has made a way. And that is great. Today can be the day of your salvation. We're going to have communion now. If you're here this morning and you claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior and trust Him with your life, we invite you to take communion with us. Um, You don't have to be a member of this church. Uh, You don't have to uh, be able to do a handstand for 10 seconds. You don't have to do anything of anything other than to know Jesus and trust Jesus. All right, men, go ahead and start passing out the elf.